you, Natalie. Good morning again. Are we going to get it or no? The, uh, the clip? We can do it? Oh, okay. I thought, well, I haven't done a clip for a while, a movie clip, a little, uh, little one to, to bring you in. And I was thinking about um, this movie uh, called The Choice by Nicholas Sparks. Now, I do recognize that I'm in danger of surrendering my man card by showing a Nicholas Sparks-like clip. However, I thought it's not as bad as in, in Men's Night when we were sharing our favorite movie and guys are sharing Braveheart and, and uh, you know, Gladiator. And then, I don't want to name names. His initials are Kurt Humphrey. But <laughs> Kurt goes... Sound of Music is my favorite. I was sitting next to my son Luke, and even Luke was like, ooh, that's man's night. But then, you know, others were like, yeah, there's Nazis in them, and you know. So, you know, we covered for, for Kurt. But, but you know, my... my uh, uh, my wife and daughters are so, they love Nicholas Sparks, and they read the books, and so I occasionally watch the movies, and yes, they're a little sappy. Um, but this one was called The Choice, and of course, it's all about choices, and the big choice that the lead character has to make of whether to marry um, the other lead character, male lead character. So just watch this for just a moment, if we can get it. Hotland, Mrs. Hotland, I'm so sorry for the confusion and the intrusion, but yeah, uh, I love this woman, and I would love a blessing from you, whether it's a wink or a nod <gasps> oh or anything God. that you a can blessing? give me. You got a ring, son? What? What? what the, no, no, no! What the hell is going on here, Mom? No, 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 no! I am not marrying this man. Here, this was her grandma. What? Oh my God! Hello! I am right here. Gabby. No. Gabby. No, no, no. You should probably take a knee, son. Dad! Right. Thanks. Gabby. I think I pretty much said all the words. So all I need is a lifetime to prove it to you. Will you marry me? No. Well, yes. No. Yes! No! Yes! No! Yes! Come bother me, baby. Bother me for the rest of my life. Be my wife. Okay. All right, that's enough sappiness for one morning. So how does this relate to the message this morning? It doesn't really. I just wanted to tell the story about Kurt. Oh, it was, that was uh, so. No, choice. God is a God who chose to make us into his own image, the Imago Dei. He, he chose to give us the ability to contemplate and to think and to reason to weigh options. He, 
He chose to give us the ability to make choices about day-to-day stuff, like what color shirt am I going to wear, but also significant and, and profound things, like what, what career am I going to pursue, what community am I going to be a part of, and, and even he gave us this choice to love him or not to love him, to, to turn towards him or turn away from him. Sometimes I wish he did not give us so much choice. We are in our our final week of Joshua, and I have to confess, as I shared in the beginning, I had a little bit of intimidation with the book of Joshua. It's a a challenging book. I, I think it was the Holy Spirit that drew us to Joshua because I would not have chosen the book of Joshua to preach through. And yet seemed like the, the spirit was stirring in that direction. And it's been a, a neat journey. I, at least I, I hope you got half as much out of it as I did, just to, to see, even though it's a, it's a book that's known for its violence and, and we've wrestled with some of that, but also to see God's love for his people to see his desire that that his people would prosper in his promised land. That that he continues to to use leaders like Joshua and others to to say, would you be strong in me? Hazak, would you you be careful to, to know the law and live the law and obey? To see his grace provided for all people. Some of you have talked about the prostitute Rahab and and God making provision for this outcast woman, even among her own people, but not even a child of God, but God's grace applying to her and inviting her in and, and then crafting her in, grafting her into the body of Christ. We we got to see God teaching his people, discipling his people about sin, that sin has consequence, that we have to, to deal with sin, that it's important part, that it will pollute our relationship with a one true holy God and, and wrestle with that. We got to see how important discernment and desire is. We got to see cities of refuge, God's desire that that not only justice would be a part of his his people, but but mercy, that, that truth would be a part of his people, and then worship the one true living God. Now we come to the end of the book. And it's so interesting, the, the last couple of chapters is, is Joshua speaking. He's, he's become old, 110 years old. And, and they've apportioned the land and they've invited, they've allowed the, the two and a half tribes to go back to the east side. They, they, they still have work that's cut out for them. But Joshua says, 
God has done all of this, but now you have to choose. You have to choose now and this moment. You have to choose to either serve the Lord or not. The choice is yours. And I couldn't help but think of how, again, applicable that is today for you and I as Christians, that we can reflect so much on what God has done. But every day, I I would argue, daily, there's a choice to be made. Who will you serve? Who will you love? God or someone or something else. Let's read a a part of Joshua's words to the children of God. We're in the final chapter of Joshua. They're renewing the covenant. They gather at Shechem. And look at uh, chapter 24, verse 13. So the Lord is speaking through Joshua to all the people, the leaders, the judges, the officials, the elders, the people of God. And he he tells them the long story of the Israelites. Talks about Abraham and Jacob and Moses and Egypt. And then he reminds them of what he has done in the promised land, the the crossing of the Jordan, the conquering of Jericho, the defeat of the kings. Verse 13, he says, he, he ends this remembrance with, so I gave you, the Lord speaking to the people of God, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil in cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Verse 14, now fear the Lord. And serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites, another name again for the Canaanites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord, to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. The the people are remembering back with Joshua. He protected us in our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He's pushing them. He is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins if they persist in rebelliousness. 
If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people and there at Shechem, He reaffirmed for them the decrees and the laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone, set it up there under the oak, near the holy place of the Lord. Imagine that visual and a large oak tree and a large stone that they set up. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people each to their own inheritance. After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. This beautiful moment at the end of the story of Joshua where he reaffirms, presses them. He wants to make sure that they are not just giving lip service to this renewal of covenant. He presses them and and then sets up this stone of memory. And I, I would suggest that this is one of the finest moments of leadership in Joshua's life. We, we've seen him miss it a couple of times in the book of Joshua, but in this moment, Joshua, he says, look at verse 15 again, but as, as for me and, and my household, we will serve the Lord. I love this moment because, because Joshua, essentially he's saying, I, I've, I've done all I can. I, I, I'm an old man. I, yes, I've made mistakes, but I, the best I can, I've listened to God. I, I've given everything to you in this moment. And I don't know how it's going to go. You guys have made some mistakes. It gives the impression that they have some foreign gods, some idols that he keeps challenging with this. And he says, you know, I don't know how it's going to go, but I just want you to know if things go south, I'm not with you. That I and my household, we've made a decision regardless of the people around us, regardless of context, we will serve the Lord. I want to encourage you, if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to grow in leadership, spiritual leadership, then determine regardless of those around you, regardless of your peers, regardless of your family, regardless of your your kids, that you would determine in your heart that you will stay true to God. And he will bless that 
and grow that. Now, the good news is that we are told that here in Scripture, this generation of leaders, you know, the elders and the leaders, Joshua soon passes away, but for this generation of leaders, the good news is, is that the people of God stayed true to God. They stayed faithful. They kept his covenant. And I was thinking back, what, was, what were these key elements that, that Joshua does in this renewal of the covenant? What were the key elements that enabled this generation to stay true? And could we learn from that? Could we see what Joshua did, be challenged like Joshua challenged the people that would motivate us, help us to make that choice every day to serve the Lord? I think from this final chapter, there's, there's three things that, that Joshua does that's worth talking about, worth, worth reflecting upon, and worth applying to our lives to help us make the right church. Uh, choice. The first is this, the power of remembrance. The power of remembrance. This is all through scripture, whether Psalms telling the story of the people of God. That, remember, that was the songbook and the, uh, and the worship book of Israel, and they would retell the story. We, we see it in, in prayers like Nehemiah retelling the story to the Lord, but really to himself and his own soul. We, we see it here that they remember and tell the story, that there, there's a power in, in making the right choice today in remembering the faithfulness of God yesterday. The good news is, is that this generation stays faithful. The bad news is the generation right after them, no go. In fact, if you really enjoy Joshua and want to continue reading in this time, go on to the book of Judges. But the book of Judges is a challenging book in part because we read, you could read from Judges chapter 2, after the whole generation had been gathered to the ancestors, Joshua's generation, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. That's verse 10. They had failed to communicate and remember what God had done to the next generation. They, they had failed to communicate who God is and, and to know God. I was thinking of a, a Hillsong song that we often sing for communion. And it's just been playing in my head for actually the entire week. And, um, and the chorus goes, hallelujah, I'll live my life in remembrance. Hallelujah, your promise I won't forget. Thinking how powerful the communion table each time we come and remember 
who Christ Jesus is. Remember his sacrifice. Then the bridge in the song goes, if ever I should lose my way, if ever I deny your grace, remind me of the price you paid. Hallelujah, I live in remembrance. I don't think we talk enough about remembrance and the power it should have in our lives and in our faith. I think in part that's what this weekend was about, remembering the the, the 20th anniversary of 9-11, pausing and, and remembering what God was doing in the midst of the pain and the chaos and the devastation, remembering the lessons of the past. Thinking of our family, that on special occasions, we, we, birthdays, we try and remember this past year and some of our, our favorite moments in the lives of our loved ones. Significant. I was reading over this chapter and reflecting and I went on my prayer walk and usually I'm praying the Lord's Prayer in outline form, but then he just led me to remember some of the seasons of my life. The, the, the ones that were beautiful and, and celebratory, the, the ones I saw God's consolations and graces and love but also the desolations, the struggle and the pain and the tears, and also recognizing God's mercy in those moments. I think it's powerful if we can actually slow down as a people and not always be living Not even sometimes in the moment. That's a phrase that we all hear, right? You live in the moment. Sometimes we just live all in the future and our goals and direction and what's happening. Seems like Joshua is saying, Scripture is saying, hey, if you want to stay true, if you want to stay faithful, you need to, to punctuate your life with some moments that aren't about the present moment, not about the future, but about the past recognizing God's hand and God's work in our lives. We've talked about this before. Also, a part of the prayer of Psalms is, God, would you remember me? As we remember you, would you remember me? So almost as if our remembrance is part of that prayer life that also can grow into uh, petitional prayers and saying, Lord, would you remember me? And I love how David asks, also, Lord, would you remember me in a particular way? Psalm 25, 6 and 7, remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord.
I think that's a great prayer, isn't it? Lord, could you not remember my mistakes? Could you not remember my sin? Could you not remember when I was rebellious and selfish and hurtful? But can we remember together your awesome love and your grace? Joshua leads the people to do that. They remember and they even say it back to Joshua. Remember God's faithfulness. Remembering God's promises and his fulfillment of all of those promises. Apparently powerful in their lives and can be powerful in our lives. Second thing that Joshua does, he repeats several times um, like, look again at verse 23. Throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. That, that phrase, turn or throw away, I think in part, part of staying faithful and staying true to God is turning away from all that is bad, all that is tempting. Yes, of course, we don't wrestle with our ancestral gods. For most of us, our ancestral god is God. But we have other idols today, other temptations. Day every day, our gaze is drawn to the things that are not good that will lead to sin. We have a teaching team I've talked about, and I asked the teaching team, would you just reflect a bit? What are, the, what are the temptations? If you think about idolatry in two ways, first, your attention, your focus, and your priority. What, what's central in your life? If you think about it in the first way, what are some of those elements that are tempting today? Our team, first answer, politics. Politics. Politics has the potential not only to divide, but lead our hearts, our focus, our discussion, our language, our social media, and it becomes this idol, and we end up not serving the kingdom of God but serving a particular political agenda. We must turn away to a certain degree. Another was the pursuit of wealth or that version of the American dream the teaching team shared about materialism and this quest that we would gain, that time is money. Money is time. We pursue that, this idea. We end up serving our own self-interests. We become workaholics. We close out all the extra time, and there's no time for the Lord or anything else. Again, that's idolatry. Someone mentioned simply the self. Psychologists today would tell us that narcissism is growing at a ridiculous and rapid place. That 
that we are our server, that we're, we ourselves are the idol. We're, we're self-centered rather than God-centered. We're so focused on our identity, our rights, our self-expression rather than serving for one, understanding our identity from our relationship with God first and foremost, and then living a life not of selfishness, but selflessness. Some mentioned the idolatry of family. Unfortunately, good things, good people, good relationships can sit, take center stage. That's also idolatry. Social media, entertainment, all of that. We can center those things. What's it? FOMO, the fear of missing out. We want to be on top of everything, see everything. Idolatry isn't just about our priority, but it's also and especially about our hearts. And where are we locating our hearts, our love, our desire? God, throughout the Old Testament, will say, you're, you're committing adultery. Do, do you see that? That, that, that you have removed me, your Lord and Creator, I've loved you, I've done all things, and yet you put some, something else or someone else at the center. Some of the language he uses, he's just saying, stop it, it hurts. Don't do it. Just an illustration of, of Kendra, my wife, right? Of course, I, I love her to death, and there's a temptation that I would put her at the center of my love. In fact, maybe she'd enjoy that for a while, just for a bit, right? Yeah. Like, could you mess up just for a while? But, but the truth is this. If I put her at the center, that's the first step towards the destruction of our marriage. Because I've not been created that way. I've been created to keep the Lord at the center. My kids had to sacrifice and fight for my kids and the relationship. And the kids, it would be very easy for me to center on them. And I'm sure that they would probably enjoy that for a while. But that would be the first step in destroying that relationship with the kids. That's the heart of idolatry. Joshua is saying, he's saying, incline your heart to the Lord. In fact, I love that. Again, look at verse 23. Not only says, remove and step away from all that is bad, these foreign gods, but then he says, yield your heart to the Lord. Yield your heart 
to the Lord. He's saying, if you want to stay true, it's a matter of the heart. I'm sure he got this from Deuteronomy and the law of Moses. Where, where, and then, of course, Jesus, again, picks that up from the Pentateuch, but also probably Joshua. He's saying, don't you understand? The greatest commandment, the, the central part of being a child of God, what I am after, what God is after is your heart that you would love him with everything you've got. It's, it's not about rules. It's not about rituals. It, it's about your heart and your relationship with him. If you want to stay true, then incline your heart towards him. I, I've been thinking and wrestling with that phrase. What, what does that mean? to incline your heart towards God. What does that look like? And I confess, I went on a little bit of a rabbit trail, and I was wrestling with whether to include this rabbit trail. But ultimately, he said yes, and I wanted to see if this would be applicable. I was thinking about the phrase, my heart goes out to you. Have you ever used that? Yeah, I know Kurt Humphrey has. My heart <laughs> goes out to you. Uh, Kendra was, wa I think she watched a, a, a two-hour special on the wives of 9-11. I think she used that phrase. My heart just goes out to them and the loss. And, and our, our heart goes out when we see someone in pain. We, we see difficulty. We, we see and, and, and we're moved and then our heart inclines. Our, our heart leans in. Our emotion, our love. When many of us watching Afghanistan unfold and seeing our heart was moved in the direction of, of those people. Again, and again, and I was thinking, here's the challenge. Is God a spirit? He's not flesh. We never see God, and, and so our hearts moved. Our hearts don't go out to God. So what do we do? How do we, how do we incline our hearts to God? I was praying about this, and then he drew me back to the stone under the oak tree in chapter 24. Did you catch that? Like, it's, it's almost as if the, the stone has ears. It reminds you of earlier in, in Joshua when they go through the Jordan River. Do you remember what they did? They collected 12 stones and, and they made this, this monument so that when they saw those stones that they would remember God's miraculous provision of bringing them across the river. And now in this moment, the end of the book, Joshua pushes them and challenges them. He says, all right, let's get this large rock. It's near the holy place, and we're going to put it under this oak tree. Could you imagine this? And what was the purpose of that stone? He says, it's a sign. It's a witness to remember, to think. To, you're walking along, and you see that stone and go, 
God is amazing. God did this and this and this. I think this is, including the Pentateuch and, and Moses, I think this is the eighth monument that this is important. And when we see something physical representing the spiritual, then that should lead us to incline our hearts towards the Lord. I was thinking about this, this idea of why, why these stones are, are or these monuments are, are so important and allowing part of maturity, at least this is how I'm growing, is allowing the physical to point me to the spiritual. If you think about the church that having throughout its history these physical symbols, Protestants, not as much, Catholics, a little bit better, Anglicans, these physical pointing us to the spiritual. So think about the cross for a moment. What was this, this picture of death and destruction becomes a picture of the love of God. I know crosses are common, but do you allow the cross to stir in you memory, reflection, and to incline your heart. I was thinking about the Bible. This picture representing the law and the truth of God, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Do you remember that? I was thinking about a candle Again, I don't know if you guys have recognized that, but my desire to remind myself, first and foremost, and us, that when God's people gather, his presence and power are here. I included this. I know you probably don't recognize this. So uh, I don't like to put anything else on the, on the table, but this is a represent of love. When we got married, Kendra and I, we blended together, and the kids all had their own color, and we poured that color together in this vase, and now we keep it, in our home predominantly that when you walk through there's pictures of our family and there's this. And what this is meant to do is remind us of the commitment of love that we made 10 years ago? Yes, a long, I think 11 years ago. <laughs> right, to remind us uh, of that, and that's the idea. That's what, that's what Joshua was doing. He, he's saying, I, I'm, I'm trying to set you up to be faithful. Would you take those moments 
of remembrance. Will, would you remember the work of God in your life? Would you do that personally? And would you do that corporately? Would you turn away from the bad things? Would you, when you see that, those temptations and those struggles, would you turn away? And would you incline your heart? Use the physical, use whatever, but the centrality of love even in the book of Joshua, is there. God is after your heart. I wanted us to, to end where we began the book of Joshua. He does, Joshua 23, 6. Does this sound familiar? Be very strong. Hazak. Be very strong. Does this sound familiar? Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Recognizing that being strong has to do with obedience. Being strong has to do, uh, has to do with dealing with sin. Being strong has to do with grace and chesed. Being strong has to do with refuge and renewal. Being strong has to do with faithfulness, perseverance, and every day choosing the Lord. Friends, wouldn't it be neat if we were like the generation of Joshua and the elders? Wouldn't it be neat if our lives, we were known, even this church, if we were known, recorded, well, yeah, even though around them it was chaos, and yet that community of faith, they chose to serve the Lord. Wouldn't it be neat if that was the testimony of this community of faith? God's given us the choice. The choice is you. Serve the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that sometimes we forget. Especially times of trial and struggle and difficulty and temptation and sin. We forget your goodness. We forget your grace. We, we forget your words and your correction. Lord, we confess in times of arrogance and pride and self-centeredness, Lord, we forget your grace and mercy, Lord. 
Lord, we want to be a people that are strong in you, Lord God. We want to be a people of chesed, grace, and truth. Lord, we want to be a people who fear you and walk in reverence for you. Lord, we want to be a people that are found faithful and true. Holy Spirit, we confess that we can't do it on our own, that we need you. Would you teach us to be faithful? Teach us to be true. Teach us to confess. Teach us to love well. Teach us to have compassion. Teach us to be courageous. Amen.